0: So we turn to Job chapter 28, beginning to read at the first verse, and we remember that this is God's word to us. Surely there is a mine for silver, and a place for gold that they refine, irons taken out of the earth, and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness. And searches out to the farthest limit, the ore, in gloom and deep darkness. He opens a shaft in a valley away from where anyone lives. They're forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air, far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread. But underneath... It is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden, he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? man does not know its worth and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me and the sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of a fear in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Death say, We have heard rumors of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and He knows its place, for He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, is understanding. Amen. We thank God for his word to us. On Thursday evening, Lise Doucette, the BBC's chief international correspondent, tweeted about the situation in Ukraine. She cast her mind back six months to what happened in Afghanistan and asked the rhetorical question, what is wrong with our world? Now, as Christians, at one level, we understand the emotion behind that question. Because sin in our world is an irrational thing. It makes no sense. It's folly. We can ask the same question ourselves. As we look around and consider our world, we can say, what is wrong with things? Why are things this way? But from another perspective, we know that the most fundamental answer to her question is that we live in a world which is in rebellion against its creator, and that means that our world is one full of evil and injustice. It is a world in which so often, might is taken to give right. What is wrong with our world? left to ourselves, relying simply on human wisdom, there is no answer to that perplexing question of what is wrong with the world. One of the great Reformation theologians explained it this way. In our fallen world, in this world where we live in a condition of sin, we are lost and in the dark without God's word. Left to ourselves by nature, we know enough to know that we're lost. We're aware that we're in grave danger, but no more. That theologian likened it to a traveler who was lost in the countryside at night during a terrible storm. The only light that there was came from flashes of lightning, and all that the lightning could do would show how dire the predicament was. He gave another illustration of what it's like for us in our sin. We're like an old man, an old man who can only read with the help of his spectacles, but he's now lost his glasses. And although he can see text in front of him, it is now impossible to decipher the meaning of what is written there, he cannot read a word of it, even though he's aware that there's text right there in front of him. If we want to understand what is wrong with our world, we need a light to come and to pierce the darkness. We need new glasses, glasses that can enable us to read and understand. And praise God as we gather together this evening, that light, those glasses have been provided for us in the Holy Scriptures. This evening, as we look at Job chapter 28, I want us to consider together why the Scriptures are absolutely necessary. And we're going to do that by looking at a chapter that begins by talking about advancement and human progress, all the achievements of human knowledge, but then the fact that if we really want to know and understand the deep and profound things of this life, if we want to have wisdom to live in this world, we need God's Word to come to us. So we'll really divide this chapter up into three sections. First of all, the first 11 verses, we'll think about innovation, and then in verses 12 to 22, we'll think about limitation, and then finally, verse 23 following, we'll think about revelation. So human innovation, all its achievements to begin with, then the limitations of our creaturely capacities, and then finally, the good news of the gospel, the fact that our God is a God who speaks the doctrine of revelation. So these verses in Job 28, they open by celebrating human achievement and technology. The first two verses really reflect on mining, going out to mine for silver and gold, iron and copper, difficult and dangerous work. It's expensive. So often the metal stays in the ground because the cost of extracting it is prohibitively high. But nonetheless, human beings are incredibly successful at searching for hidden treasure. Verses three and four go on to describe some of the formidable challenges that are there to be overcome. The miner has to literally light up the darkness and it's so often the case still in the 21st century that mining and exploration for resources takes place in some of the world's most remote and inhospitable places. There are massive obstacles to overcome. Now it's hard work if we look at verse four to try to imagine what sort of primitive technology has been described there. Whatever it is, it sounds incredibly dangerous. The quest has taken this explorer to the point where they are hanging midair, swinging to and fro. You don't expect to stumble upon precious things. You don't discover gold and sapphires simply by chance. You have to dig out the ore, card it away, smelt it and refine it in order to access these treasures. The precious stones that are being talked about, they have to be blasted out of the ground, dug up, cut, and then set. These secret things are hidden away, and then there's something wonderful and glorious about discovering them. Creation for us does not yield its secrets easily, but human beings, God's creatures, We are innovators. It's part of the glory of humanity. We are very good, incredibly good, at discovering things which are hard to find in order to create wealth and beauty. This earth that God has put us on is one which is full of treasures, full of riches, which are available to those who are willing to work hard. On in verse four, the earth yields our bread, but in order to eat it, there must be sowing and reaping and grinding and baking. Only human beings are innovators like us. It's hardwired into our DNA to search out hidden things. We were made and created to discover things. It means that some, in their daily life, are out looking for fossils. Others are out trying to discover equations. Some search out things which are written in lines of code. Others work with molecules and genome sequences. Some explore the world's deepest oceans, and others plan to explore distant planets. As God's creatures, He has made us to be creative and ingenious in figuring out the best way to do things, to fashion objects, to grow things, to discover the most efficient way to get the job done, whatever the task may be. And in all of that, we are so different from the animals. Nothing in the creaturely world can match human ingenuity for discovering hidden treasure. Have a look at verses seven and eight. Because our eyesight may not be able to match that of a bird of prey spying out its target from hundreds of feet away. None of us can match the speed of a falcon. We may not have the strength of a majestic lion, which is the king of the beasts. We're not like the creatures in that way, but none of those magnificent creatures has the insatiable desire to uncover hidden treasure. Those animals don't mine through rock, which is as hard as flint. They don't move mountains simply to find what they're looking for. They don't dam rivers simply to find out what is hidden on the riverbed. Human beings, our explorers, right down through history, we have always sought to go where no living creature has gone before. And so there's no end to what can be found out through human intellect, persistence, curiosity, courage, inventiveness, industry, and creativity. We still go to remote and uncharted regions. We want to break new realms. We are on a quest for hidden treasure, which is beyond our normal reach. Humans are innovators who long to live on the cutting edge. We know things and do things today that our ancestors could never even have imagined. Human beings, God's creatures are incredible in their ingenuity, in the fact that we are innovators. But let's go on now to think about an even deeper search than all of that. Let's move on to the section which begins at verse 12, because here, in stark contrast to what's gone before, We were thinking about great innovation, innovation that can break through all sorts of barriers to do things and accomplish things that were never done before. Here, as we move into verse 12 and following, we run into serious limitation. Job asks, but where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Where can true wisdom be found in this world? Verse 20, where is the place where wisdom comes from? Where's the place of understanding? Where do we go to learn these things? You see, it's all very well to create knowledge, wealth, and power, but it is another thing altogether to know what to do with those things. To have wisdom and understanding in this world you have to know the answer to some of the most deep and fundamental questions. If you want to be wise, if you want to have understanding, you need to know, who am I? Why am I here? Lisa Set's question, what is wrong with this world? And then that most important question of all, how can things be put right? Where do we go? to look for wisdom, where do we gain true understanding? Well, our world has all sorts of attempts, innovative ways to try to find those things. So often we try to find them through human experience. Essentially, we try to search deep within to find perhaps some kind of inner light that will guide us on the way to wisdom and understanding. Many people in our world operate by a pragmatism that says wisdom and understanding will come from figuring out what works, what gets the job done. That's going to be the thing that will give wisdom and understanding. Other people think that wisdom and understanding will effectively come from consumerism, trying to find meaning of life in pleasure, wealth, and success. Well, Job tells us that wisdom and understanding is not to be found in any of those places. Job piles up descriptions of the most precious and desirable things in this world. He names them for us. He talks about gold and silver, precious stones, coral, crystal, and he says wisdom It is to be more highly valued than all those things put together. You simply cannot put a price on human wisdom. Every figure that you might try to attach to it will always come up short. It is more precious than all those things. And it is also far, far more difficult to find and to achieve because for all our innovation, all our success and achievements, all our creativity and technology left to ourselves, we simply cannot access true wisdom and understanding. It's so precious, and yet it proves itself to be elusive. We think we grab it, and then it just slips away through our fingers. Verse 13, it's not to be found anywhere in the land of the living. Verse 14, even if we traveled to the deepest and darkest extremes of the world, you cannot find it. People there would shake their heads and say, no, it's not here. As verse 21 puts it, wisdom and understanding is hidden from our eyes. In verse 22, Job mentions abaddon and death. He's speaking of those realms outside the world as we know it, those arenas beyond human understanding. There, at best, they have heard rumors of wisdom, but nothing more. We glimpse it. We've heard the whispers. We know it's there. We know that we desperately need it but it is always beyond us. The greatest treasure of all is something that we cannot access. For all our innovation, industry, progress and technology, this is a search which left to ourselves is doomed to failure. The meaning of life cannot be found in this world. Here, we are being forced into recognizing the severe limitations which there are upon human understanding. And so often we are slow and unwilling to accept that there are so many things in this world which are simply beyond us. It's so often the case that suffering humbles us and forces us to acknowledge the limitations of our wisdom and understanding. Hard circumstances, just the sort of things that Job faced cause us to accept that there are answers that we need that we cannot find out. Our hearts cry out from within us, looking for answers when we're wrestling with hard circumstances. What is going on in my life? Why did I not get that job? Why did that relationship break down? Why did illness strike? why were they taken from me questions that by ourselves we cannot answer and we've seen all of this in job's friends with all their toing and froing it's patently obvious that job's friends don't have wisdom and understanding we've had chapter after chapter in job full of knowledge but containing so little wisdom and understanding. By this point in Job, we've had three long rounds of speeches, intelligent, gifted people who have been trying to explain how this world works in order to comfort Job in his affliction. And the answers that Job's so-called comforters brought proved to be woefully inadequate. They've said all that they can say and yet, nothing has been settled. Humanity can walk on the moon. We can harness nuclear energy. We can perform keyhole surgery. We can sequence DNA. And all those things are easily found in comparison to searching for true wisdom. Human reason, science, the social science experiences, those things cannot answer our ultimate question. And that is because wisdom and understanding will not be found contained in this world by itself. The Bible gives us a couple of reasons for that. Two reasons why we will not find the answers to our deepest questions either by looking within or searching around our world. Two reasons. We are finite and we are fallen. If we were going to put it into different language, we could say the two reasons are we are small and we are sinful. We're small and finite. It's not just that God Is bigger than us, or God is older than us. God is simply immeasurable. Not because He's larger than what we can imagine, but because He is beyond measurement itself. He's beyond comparison with anything in creation. His life and His way of existing are beyond what we can even imagine and comprehend. He is The uncreated creator, and he is beyond all creatures. And that's true even before we take account of our sinfulness. Because our problem is not just that we are small, it's also that we are sinful. We're not only finite, we are also fallen. And in our fallen world, we find ourselves blind and in the dark, blind and in the dark, which means that we keep on looking for wisdom and understanding in all the wrong places. We always look to things in this creation. We try to fashion a God according to our own minds and understanding. We're proud in our thinking. We measure things by our standards. And all of that is what the Bible calls idolatry. We think we can save ourselves through innovation. We believe the lie that by themselves, science, progress, education, technology, and government can transform this world. As Paul puts it in Romans 1, we exchange the truth for a lie, and we worship and serve things in this creation rather than our great creator. And therefore, our foolish hearts are darkened. We claim to be wise, but as Paul says, we become as fools. For all our innovation, this is our limitation. Left to ourselves, true wisdom and real understanding, those things are beyond us. And that means that the haunting question of verse 20 remains. From where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? Well, the great news from this chapter is what we've thought about concerning our limitation. That is not the end of the story. We come to this final section, verse 23 following, And that brings things to a glorious resolution, captured in one word, revelation. And here, we don't encounter the whispers or the rumors that we read about earlier in the chapter. Instead, we hear a voice speaking with unmistakable and absolute clarity. Verse 23, God understands the way to wisdom, and he knows its place. We are directed to lift up our gaze to the one who truly knows and understands. We're directed to the one who is the very source of wisdom. We're confronted with the absolute difference between us creatures and our creator. In verse 24, God's vantage point is completely different to ours. He is the one who looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. God is the one who sees and who knows it all. The creator's gaze comprehends the creation in all its entirety. God's knowledge is his vantage point is completely different from ours. It's so different that we cannot conceive how much greater it actually is. God knows everything about this life in this world, every single detail, and he sees it all at once. In the next verses, 25 and 26, Job moves on and he talks about something that we love to talk about, He talks about the weather. And the reason why we love to talk about the weather is because there always is so much to talk about with it. It's always unpredictable. It's unpredictable, and yet it has great significance and bearing on our everyday lives. And for all our technological innovations, the science of meteorology is still so inexact. The Met Office says that five-day forecasts are now as accurate as three-day forecasts were 20 years ago. But beyond five days, we really still know and understand so little. It's so difficult for us because we're dealing with a chaotic system, a system in which tiny factors can have huge impact upon the weather that we encounter. These verses tell us that God established the forces of creation. The wind, the rain, the thunder, the lightning, they are all ordered by his decree. That is the power of his word. He speaks his decree, and it is done. We might try to speculate about what might be. God simply speaks, and it is so. And that's the fundamental distinction between the creator and his creatures. God set up the universe. He decreed how it would work. And so he always knows and understands infinitely more than we do as creatures. So don't miss the magnitude of the introduction to the final verse, verse 28. And he said to man this awesome God, this incomprehensible one, this infinite God, he speaks. He speaks to us, his creatures. He stoops down to speak to finite and fallen people like us. The living God speaks to small, sinful people. He stoops down. He's designed even human language so that he can communicate to us through it, even though we're so small and sinful. And that is the doctrine of revelation. And it means that true wisdom and understanding is possible. If we're to know God and the answers that he gives to our ultimate questions, he will speak to us and tell us. Without his revelation, we are simply left in the dark. True wisdom, it comes down from God. We will not know the truth unless he reveals it to us. Only God can reveal God to us. We are entirely dependent upon his revelation. If we are to know, he must speak to us. And Job's friends haven't discovered that because they base all their thinking simply on observing things in this world, in the lives of those around them. What they need to know, what we need to know, is that unless God reveals true wisdom, it simply will never be discovered. And true wisdom must be sought where God has revealed it. Well, what does God say? What does the living God, this infinite and eternal one, say when he speaks to his creatures? How do we find the wisdom and understanding that we long for? Well, in verse 28, he speaks, and he calls us to himself. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To gain this wisdom and understanding reverence is required. He commands us to bow before him and to let God be God, to kneel before him as the sovereign creator and acknowledge that we are creatures. If you want wisdom, you need to bow in humble worship before the God who speaks. But it's not enough just to acknowledge that we're small. We've talked together about our far greater problem, the fact that we are sinful. And praise God, the word that he comes speaking is a word which is full of grace and truth. The word that comes to us in Scripture speaks to us about the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh, the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are to be found. The written word reveals to us Jesus Christ as the answer to all our ultimate questions. Only in him can we understand who we are, why we're here, what's wrong with this world, and how things can be put right. And the answer to those questions is exactly what sinners like us need to hear. The gospel, it is more than a rumor. It is the public announcement of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a message which seems foolish to our world, but is actually the power and the wisdom of God. And this is not just some intellectual theory, as if the mind is the only thing involved here. Look at the parallel phrase in that last verse. Wisdom and understanding also involves turning away from evil. The fear of God involves a reorientation of what our hearts long for, and this will inevitably be seen in a life of repentance. If you want wisdom, if you want understanding, well then turn to the one who speaks the truth. Turn to the written Word of God, the Bible which is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not an optional edge that's given to us. It's something which is absolutely necessary if we are to know God and how to live with true wisdom and understanding in his world. The Bible doesn't come and just give us some upgrade in our knowledge. The Bible is the light that we need to pierce the darkness The Bible is the spectacles that we need to see and understand this world. The fear of the Lord means to seek the wisdom in the place where God has revealed it, not looking within to some personal experience. Instead, the fear of the Lord is to turn to the written Word of God in order there to encounter the Word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge."